This is lesson 19 in the study of Romans. We are in chapter 7. You know, really one of the problems with going through a book like Romans in weekly half-hour segments is continuity. We're covering a few verses each week, and so to maintain continuity each week, we often have to do a little bit of review. So let's begin with a quick review of what we've covered so far in chapter 7. And I want to start by saying that chapter 7 of the book of Romans is one of the harder chapters of the book to understand because of the way it was written by Paul. It's also hard to understand because of the way it's been interpreted by the church over the centuries, pulling verses out of context and using them to show that the Torah is irrelevant and sometimes even evil, the way it's explained. And I know that many of you, after coming into the Messianic faith and first and the first century roots of the faith, have experienced this. It all begins as you start to keep the Sabbath and the festivals, and your friends and family tell you that you've gone under the law. You've been ostracized. And they were well-meaning uh, in saying that you'd gone under the law because that's what they've been taught. But they, they say it as if the Torah was a plague. And you've been treated more like that you had gone to hell and joined forces with the devil himself. But when properly understood and with all the verses put back into their context, this single chapter shows just the opposite and shows those people to be an error. To kind of sum up this chapter thus far, Paul tells us that the Torah, without the leading of the Spirit of God, actually just condemns humanity. Well, if you take that out of context, these kind of statements have led people to believe that the Torah and the Spirit of God are opposed to one another. He tells us that the Torah cannot give life, but in fact only shows our sin and thereby condemns us. He tells us that the Torah actually makes sin more sinful. And then just when you think that the Torah was a trap laid by God, he tells us that the Torah is holy, righteous, and good. But again, you can take some of these statements out of context, and if you leave out the Torah is holy, righteous, and good, it would seem that maybe Torah observance and the Spirit of God are opposed to one another. But put things back into their context and what you see is that this whole chapter is not a tirade against Torah. But the whole chapter is a tirade against the sinful nature and our inability to live righteous by the Torah's precepts unless we have the leading of the Spirit of God. The Torah, when understood with the leading of the Spirit of God, actually shows two things. It shows first that you need a Redeemer And second, that you need the Spirit of God to direct your life in order to live it out. Think about it. I want want you to think about something. The Torah, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. Well, four-fifths of the Torah, Exodus through Deuteronomy, deals with the Exodus from Egypt. And when understood correctly, the Exodus from Egypt plays out this very thing that Paul is trying to explain to us. Those books are all about man's inability to live out God's law without hearing his voice, without the leading of the Spirit. 
That is the summation of the story of the Exodus and the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And if you read the first 32 chapters of Exodus, you have to come up with that truth. And then the rest of the Torah proves that fact over and over and over again. Exodus starts with Israel in slavery, being helpless to help themselves, and God redeems them from that slavery. And then they pass through the Red Sea, and God slays their taskmaster, Pharaoh, in the sea. Think about it, because it's just like you were helpless to help yourself. You were a slave to sin, as Paul says. Yeshua came and redeemed you and slayed your old taskmaster, the sin nature, in the water. As you went through the waters of immersion, you left that sin nature behind there. Then God leads them to Mount Sinai. And think about it. Chapter 19, he says this. If you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what I want you to see is that God was going to speak to them on an ongoing basis and lead them through the wilderness. And what did they say to that? They say, everything the Lord has said we'll do. Well, then in chapter 20, he does exactly that. He comes down on the mountain and he speaks to them for the first time, giving them the Ten Commandments and thereby keeping his promise. But as he speaks to them, they become fearful and they say, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us any longer or we'll die. And if you read on, God honors that. He doesn't speak to them again. Moses becomes the mediator between Israel and God. Well, how did that work for them? Did Moses speaking to them instead of God work? Well, no. Because in less than 40 days, they broke the very first commandment that God gave them through Moses. The very first command God gave them through Moses. After they said, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us any longer, was this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Less than 40 days later, what do they do? They make a golden calf and break that very first command that God gave them. Was the command too hard? Was not making a golden calf too hard? Was the command of God good? Well, no, it wasn't too hard. And yes, the command was good. What was not good was the sinful nature of the people. You see, the moral of the story is you can't keep the commands of God. Not even the simplest command. The most elementary one, like do not make yourself a God of gold without hearing the voice of God and obeying. Or what we could say, being led by the Spirit of God. And it doesn't stop there. Over and over, their sinful nature controls their actions until you say as you're reading this, my goodness, were these people idiots or just fools? You read on and saying, I can't believe that they did that. 
Well, they weren't idiots or fools. In fact, they're no different than anyone else. It was just that your sinful nature does to you as you try to live for God. It causes you to fail and make you look like you are a fool for disobeying. Just as you read of their wilderness journey and say, Oh my goodness, how foolish. When you transgress the Torah, God looks at you and says, Oy vey. He did it again. You see, you, like them, are controlled by your sinful nature without the help of God. And that's what Paul is trying to tell these people in Rome. The Torah is good. But the sinful nature is a monster that must be put into submission to the Spirit of God. And that can only be done through the leading of the Spirit. God has given us a way to do that if we choose to follow the Spirit and become like Yeshua. So understand, Paul is trying to convey the simplest lesson of the Torah. So chapter 7, how does he do that? Chapter 7, Paul starts by posing an obvious question. He says, don't you know that the law only has authority over a man as long as he lives? Simple, right? You can't keep Torah. You can't keep the commands of God after you die. And there are no commands given to those who are dead. So simply stated, you are released from the Torah with your death. Then he proves this by using the fact that a woman is released from the law of marriage in the event of the death of her husband and is thereby free to marry another. And he says, so like the woman being set free from the law that bound her to her former husband, the law of marriage, you too have been released. Through our death with Messiah, we have been released from the Torah and from the condemnation of the Torah. We're free from our sin nature. We're free to serve our new master, our new husband, just as the woman was freed to marry a new husband. However, and this is a big however, We didn't remain dead, right? And since we didn't remain dead and we now are alive in Messiah, our new master in whom is no sin, the Torah still applies. We're still not to transgress Torah even as the woman who remarried after her husband's death would again be subject to the law of marriage again. The only thing that's changed is she has a new master, a new husband. And that's the only thing that's changed for us. But most of the church has taken the position that Paul is discussing our freedom from Torah. But in fact, the real topic of chapter 7 is Messiah freeing us from the consequences of the law, the transgressions of the law that we've committed. And second, he's freed us from the ally of sin, which is our flesh. Or as some would say, the sinful nature. Or as the Jewish people say, the evil inclination. And it's why he says this in verse 4. So my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Messiah that you might belong to another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. When we were in the flesh, the painful consequences of sins defined by the law worked in the members of our bodies to bring forth fruit of death 
It's not the Torah we died to. It's the consequences of the Torah we died to. And we died to our old master. Think about it. Reason for a minute. Was the Torah ever your master before you knew Messiah? Was it ever your master? No, the Torah was not our master. It was the sin nature that was our master. And that's what we died to or what we should have died to. And then he goes on, he goes into how the Torah merely identifies sin for us. You know, sin has always been sin. Murder was always murder. Murder was sin before the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. You only have to read Genesis chapter 4 and the story of Cain and Abel to realize that. Adultery was always adultery. Sexual immorality was as sinful before the Torah was given as it was after. Read Genesis chapter 19 and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and you can see that sexual immorality was sin before the Torah was given. Sin is always and always will be and always has been sin. And so what did the Torah do was identify sin. So that where we once sinned in ignorance, now because we know the Torah of God, we, what we now do, sadly, we sin intentionally. And that's why Paul says in verse 13, but sin, transgression of Torah, so that it might be shown to be what it is, brought forth death to me through what was good, so that sin might become extremely sinful through the commandment. Sin was always sin. But when the commandment came, it became more than just sin. Because now that you know what displeases God and what is sinful, it goes from unintentional sin, a sin of ignorance, to outright rebellion against God because you know that it's wrong. It's utterly sinful. And last week we showed this, the Torah teaches how unintentional sin and rebellion are dealt with by God in different ways. Unintentional sin was dealt with with a sin offering. Intentional sin, more often than not, was dealt with the death of the individual or at least his being cut off from his people. So is the law bad? Well, let's see what Paul thinks about the law because he states clearly in verse 12 of chapter 7, Therefore the law indeed is holy and the commandment holy, righteous and good. The law is what it is. And it is holy, righteous and good. It tells us what is good and what is evil in God's sight. It tells us what is holy and what is profane in God's sight. And so with chapter 7, Paul is not on a tirade against the Torah, against the law or the commands. He's on a tirade against the sinful nature because that is the battle we face in life. That will be the, what the rest of the chapter is about too. This chapter is about who's going to control your life. Will it be the sin nature or will it be the Messiah and the Spirit of God? Paul is saying that the Torah is holy, righteous, and good, but you are not. He's telling us that the Torah is holy, but we are profane. And he'll take the rest of the chapter now to explain the battle that he wages against his sin nature and the good he wants to do. You see, the good news is this. 
God has given us a way to defeat our sin nature. He gave us the life of his son Yeshua to emulate. He gave us the spirit of God to guide us and to give us strength to follow that our Messiah. And I want to say this. If you weren't here for lessons last week and the week before, I suggest you get the CDs because this is a hard chapter to understand. And they're going to help you. Now, in case you still doubt the topic of the chapter, Paul will make this battle between the good he wants to do and his sin nature the topic of the rest of the chapter. He concludes his argument with this. He says, We know that the law is spiritual and I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So again, the topic is not freedom from the Torah. Why would you want to be free from something that is holy, righteous, and good? And as I said earlier, why would you want to be free from something that is spiritual? If you want to be a spiritual being, you need to follow Torah because it's spiritual. We in the church have separated the two. Paul tells us that they are not separable because the Torah is spiritual. The problem is we're not. If we want to be spiritual, we need to consider Torah. It's not the Torah we need to resist. It's spiritual but it's freedom from the sin nature that we need to struggle with. It's not the Torah that's unspiritual, but Paul says he is unspiritual. He is a slave to sin. Think of it. He's speaking to us as an apostle, as a follower of Yeshua, saved and reconciled through Yeshua, led by the Spirit, and yet he says, I myself am unspiritual and a slave to transgression." To the transgressions of Torah. Get it? He's saying without the leading of the Spirit, without Messiah in control of your life, and leading you into a true Torah observance, you are not spiritual. He says, when he says I, he's speaking of himself alone, not being led by the Spirit. You know, if you listen to the hyper-grace teachers, the law is not spiritual, they're spiritual. That's not what Paul says. He says, the law is spiritual and I'm not. Just the opposite. The law is holy, righteous, and good, and you are not. Even though like, like he is, you are saved and reconciled. You're not spiritual, but the Torah is. So if the law is spiritual, holy, righteous, and good, then what is not holy, righteous, and good, and is, what is unspiritual? Again, it is your sin nature. Now, I know some of you are saying, Stan, I know you said last week and even earlier today that we're free from our sin nature. Well, we are if we make Yeshua our master. The problem is, as Paul is about to explain, there's a battle going on within our members daily for the control of our actions. We have victory over the sin nature. The question is, will we exercise that victory and walk through life in victory with our Messiah? To show this battle, Paul says, and remember, Paul is speaking of himself now. He's speaking of himself as a believer in Messiah, saved and reconciled. And he says this in verse 15. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So again, Paul is telling us that the law is good. He wants to do that good. He wants to do what's good. He wants to do the good within the Torah. But there's a struggle going on with him and with us. And here's the struggle. Do we follow the Messiah, Yeshua, into a true Torah observance and do what is right? Because the law is righteous and good? Or we do, do we do what the sin nature would have us do and transgress the law? You see, we by our actions prove that the Torah is good and we are not. And that's what he's saying. Now, we spoke of the hyper-grace people a few weeks ago. They solved this problem in their own minds, not in truth, mind you, but in their own minds by erroneously thinking and preaching that the Torah is no more. Treating the law as if it's a bad thing to be avoided. That's not what Paul teaches. They teach that all of our transgressions are covered, and that's true. But the rest of what they teach is the figment of their imagination and not what the Bible teaches. And certainly not what Paul says. Listen to verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. There's no good in me. That's my sinful nature, for I desire to do what is good. What is good? Well, he just told us. The Torah is good. He wants to observe the Torah, but he can't. He says, I'm unable. And you need to understand, Paul is speaking of himself and his sin nature alone when he says, I. With that in mind, do you think that he, like the hyper-grace teachers teach, say, oh, well, I'm helpless. My sins are forgiven anyway, so I can do as I please. Well, listen to what he says in dealing with the sin nature in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to what he tells the people in Corinth. I therefore run this way, not with uncertainty. I box in this way. I fight in this way as not beating the air, but I press down my body and bring it into submission so that after I have proclaimed to others, I myself should not by any means be rejected. You see, Paul is telling us that there's a battle going on for the control of our actions. And he's saying that by yourself, you're going to lose the battle. And then he tells us he doesn't give up. Just because our sins are forgiven, he fights the good fight. He's not telling us, hey, our sins are forgiven, so let's live for today because tomorrow we die and don't worry about it. Just go on sinning. I've actually heard that from preachers' mouths. No, what he does is he beats his flesh so that he can overcome the sinful nature within him. And so Paul next says in the book of Romans chapter 7 and verse 19, he says, For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. What is the good Paul wants to do? Well, again, he already told us in verse 12. He says, therefore, the law indeed is holy and the command is holy, righteous and good. The good he wants to do is the commands of the Torah. 
It's holy, righteous, and good. Think about it. Do you know of any other good that God has proclaimed as good? Where would you go if you want to find out what was good according to God besides what's in the Scriptures? So Paul is saying that the law that I want to do is not what I do, but it is the sin nature living in me that controls me and I do what I do not want to do. Paul is saying he, by himself, is like a car with no brakes. He wants, sees the stop sign, he presses on the pedal, but there's nothing there, he can't stop. When we are controlled by our sin nature, we have no control. We're controlled by the sin nature. And I thought of a great example of this. It might hit home to a few today, I don't know. But I thought of an example of this as I was writing this. And it's, it's a current one. Tammy organized a Feed My Starving Children a while back. There's another one going on tonight. It's a good deed. And I promoted it from the pulpit because I believe it's a good deed. And so people signed up because they were convicted that it was a good deed. After all, the Torah says, love your neighbor as yourself. And feeding children who are without food is exactly that. I mean, how much better can a good deed get? Right? So those who signed up were convicted to do good. They signed up on the sheet. However, when the time came to do the good and their promise to do good came about, many didn't show up. So the good they wanted to do was the Torah, love thy neighbor as thyself. But the good they wanted to do wasn't the, what they did. Why? Well, obviously something got in the way. And in many cases, maybe not in all, but in many cases, it's just the flesh. And that's why Paul says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. What did Paul think of the Torah? He delighted in God's law. And he wanted to do that good. Look at what some of the other righteous men in the Bible thought of the Torah. Let's read 1 Psalm 1, a psalm of David. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. David delighted in the Torah and he tells us that those who do delight in the Torah are blessed. Who are the wicked that he speaks of? Well, easy, by default, they must be the ones who don't delight in God's Torah, right? And I know that there are some who's going to say, well, Stan, that's the Old Testament. You're reading that in the Old Testament. David was part of the Old Testament, right? Listen, folks, I'm going to let you on a real, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. One of the truths of the Word of God, and the truth is, there is no Old Testament. As in part of the Bible is old and part of the Bible is now done away with. The Bible does not divide itself into new and old. Show me that somewhere. 
where the Bible divides itself into new and old. Men did that. The word testament in your Bibles makes us think of the word, but that is a bad translation. The word testament doesn't even belong there. Listen to what the word is. I put it up here for you. It means covenant. Is there an old and a new covenant? Well, yes, there is. Does that have anything to do with the Bible? Well, no, it doesn't. When you read the word testament, you need to do, if you have the word testament in your Bible, you need to do as the NIV did. Cross it out and put the word covenant in there. The word testament is misleading. The word New Testament brings to mind to most people Matthew through Revelation. But the Greek word does not mean Old Bible and New Bible. There is an Old and a New Covenant, but that has nothing to do with the Bible. It has to do with who will be the mediator of the covenant. We just covered that a few weeks ago. There is one revelation of the Messiah and it starts in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and it ends with Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21. And the fact is you, you wouldn't even know there was a new covenant if it wasn't for the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah. And the quote in the book of Hebrews of Jeremiah. There is no new and old parts of the Bible. And if you want to divide the Bible, then divide it this way. Genesis 1.1 through 2 Chronicles chapter 36.23 in your Hebrew Bible. Or if you're using a Christian Bible, then you want to divide it Genesis 1.1 through Malachi 4.6. And what that does, it speaks of our need for Yeshua. And it speaks and prophesies of his future coming. Then you can divide it into Matthew through John, which fulfilled the promises that were spoken of in those chapters. And then the rest of the Bible, Acts through Revelation, speaks of the result of his coming. The point is, the whole book is about Messiah, and it's unchanging, and that's why the psalmist says this in 119, Oh, how I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are forever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. And it's why Yeshua says this in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. It's why Paul says in the book of Romans, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. It's why Yaakov, James as we call him, says this in James chapter 1 verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceives yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Sounds like he read Psalm 119 too, right? And John says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. He says, for everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin is either seen or known him. 
You see, the law is holy, righteous, and good. And it's time the church woke up and stopped spouting this absolute heresy that the law is no more and start living holy and righteous lives because we are losing the battle for God's people. The battle because of ignorance of ignorance in our teachings is slipping away. We need to realize that the Torah is our friend, that the Torah is holy, righteous, and good, and that the Torah is the revealer of the Messiah. Think of it. Think of this. We wouldn't even know Yeshua was the Messiah if it were not for the revelation of him contained in the Torah and the prophets. And then we could read and see the fulfillment of those things in Matthew through John. The enemy of our lives is not the law, it's not Torah, it's our sin nature. And so Paul says this in verse 23, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Yeshua, our Messiah, our Lord. So I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I love that. Who rescue us from our wretched selves? Only Messiah Yeshua. And he does it by giving us victory over our sin nature. We can now say no to sin. The Torah reveals it, our conscience confirms it, and the Spirit gives us strength to resist it. Chapter 7 is not a tirade against Torah. It's a tirade against our sin nature. And I'm afraid what we see in much of the church today with those who wink at sexual immorality, with those who preach no Torah, they are nothing more than a bunch of unrepentant sinners who have let their sin natures run wild within them. They're not holy, they're not good, but they have let the very thing that Paul tells us he beats daily into submission control their lives. They went into the waters of immersion a sinner and they forgot to leave their sin nature behind and so they came up out of the water a wet sinner. The teachers who teach this are in for a rude awakening one day when they're confronted by the one who never transgressed Torah the one who is holy, righteous, and good. That's the truth, and I'm sticking to it. 